You're listening to the Women as in Art podcast, and I am your host, Leah Schrager. Okay, welcome to my first podcast ever. Um, I am your host, Leah Schrager, and I have with me today, Kathy Batista. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you. Hello. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, So I'll start by reading your bio, and then we'll get into our discussion. Um, Batista is a writer, educator, and a curator of exhibitions in museums, galleries, and nonprofits. Her research is primarily focused on cross-generational feminist art, in particular performance and body-oriented practice. Most recently, she has curated Everything Has Its Place at Seville Dolmasi Gallery, Istanbul. You pin me down like a butterfly on a wall for Ballon Rouge at Pablo's birthday. The Art of Fashion at Fountain House Gallery, New York. Escape Attempts at Shulamit Nazarian Gallery, Los Angeles and EAT, Experiments in Art and Technology at the Museum der Modern Salzburg, Austria. She has authored numerous books, including New York, New Wave, The Legacy of Feminist Art in Emerging Practice, 2019, and Renegotiating the Body, Feminist Art in 1970s London, 2012, Batista also co-edited with Brian Fowler a book on artists, estates, and foundations, creative legacies, critical issues in artist estates for Lund Humphreys 2020. Um, that's amazing. <laughs> and also, so I I I met you uh yeah, I think I met you first in probably 2014. Was that right? With Robert Adanto's documentary fourth wave feminist artists yes that was an expert yeah wow it's eight years it feels like yesterday (laughs) i know it is it is wild i saw the someone um said we were talking about the trailer and i watched the trailer yesterday and it was pretty wild to see myself from so long ago well one time I was in a lobby in Miami, it was a few years ago before the pandemic, and this young woman came up to me and said, oh, um, I've seen you in a movie. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not an actress. But then she said, um, no, no, I saw you in a movie. And I said, I swear to you, I'm not in any film. And then she said, it was a documentary about feminist artists. And I was like, oh, my God, yes, I forgot about that. It was, <laughs> it was so funny. It was like, oh, my God, I guess That's people great. do see these things. Right, right. Yeah, we went to a number of different places, including, I think, Dallas Contemporary and spoke there um, on the panel. What's your, do you have, what's your favorite thing about the documentary? Um, well, I think it's interesting that it's made by a cis white male, you know, mm-hmm. um, I know some people had problems with that and, and there were questions about that when the events I attended. But I think it's really interesting that, you know, this white straight male was interested in making a film about these young mm-hmm. kind of radical feminist artists. Um, so that's exciting for me. And then also the artists. I mean, he picked such a great selection of artists, some of whom I hadn't known before. And I think most of them I keep in touch with. I can't remember if Claudia Bitron was in the, was she in Fourth Wave Feminism oh, or that word? I think so. Yeah, I, so. I recently showed her work and, um, and your work, of course. So it was, you know, for me, it was also a learning experience seeing the film. Yeah. 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 I feel like he brought up some issues that had not been brought up before in a way, which. Maybe we'll circle back around too as we get into our questions. Sure. Um, so let's start with um, what do you see as the biggest challenges and opportunities for women now? That's a good question because I think right now there's been such a paradigm shift in the art world 
so that women artists are not, it's not anomalous anymore when you see a solo show by a woman artist in a museum. And that up until about a decade ago, you know, it was, was rare. So we have mm-hmm. so many more opportunities for women to show and to sell work, which is important. We all have to eat. Uh, we can't eat prestige, I always say. So I, I think the opportunities are just vastly different from like when I started grad school in the mid 90s. And I wanted to write about feminist art and my, you know, the the white men who ran my program said, but nobody's interested in that. And really <sighs> they said that they yeah. actually said that. Oh, oh, they, wow. said, they said oh. nobody's interested and it's terrible art. So I said, well, that's what? great because that will be my little niche. But now I almost feel like, you know, I have days when I'm like, oh, I'm a dinosaur. I don't really, you know, there's so many new young feminists um, out there, not only artists, but also thinkers and writers. And I'm really excited by some of the younger people like Legacy Russell and, you know, the the people who are like um, really bringing new intersectionality into um, art historical discourse. So I think the opportunities are just so different now. And even something like an art fair, you know, when Free started in 2003, I think it was, or 2001. I'm forgetting my years now. Maybe that was Miami that started around then. But, you know, the end of the 90s, everything started, like more biennials, more art fairs. And in the beginning, you did not see Carolee Schneeman at an art Mm, fair. You didn't see, you know, Linder from Manchester, who I've written about. And now they're at, you know, major galleries and art fairs. So I see that as a major opportunity for all of us to to see the work, to share the work. Um, Sadly, many of the artists aren't alive to see their success. You know, um, that's why I got interested in artist legacies because I saw people like Alexis Hunter, who was sort of known in her milieu in London, but not known certainly around the world. And then after she died, I mean, before she died, she started showing with a gallery in London. But, you know, it was really like around the time of her illness and death that she gets traction. Um, so I think there's a lot more opportunities. I mean, I have heard artists say to me, well, you know, I'm 80. So now the galleries are interested in me because I'm close to death. You know, it is sad that it seems every gallery wants older women, which is so new, you know, older women were irrelevant, you know, in the early nineties when I was starting my master's degree, I was surrounded by Mm -hmm. people like Phyllida Barlow and uh, Lubiana uh, Humid, I think is how you say her last name, um, who's in a ba- major show at the um, Hayward now. And I was so excited to see her there. But these women were like teaching ceramics classes and things where, you know, at a nonprofit where I worked. And they're all incredible artists, but they weren't being shown at Hauser and Wirth or, you know, Zwerner, and now they are. So it's really, I think the opportunities are vast now. Um, the, but and for me, I think I, there are challenges. Oh, yes. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Let me just ask really quick. So you're, um, I mean, that's super interesting and that's great. I mean, amazing that the opportunities have increased so much. Um, so you're saying that, why is it that the galleries want the older women? Well, different reasons. One reason is that, say you want minimal painters, right? So you have like Frank Stella, you have maybe Robert Mangold. There's not a lot of that 60s, 70s work left. But if you get, you know, um, if you get a female minimalist, like, oh God, her name is escaping me. She was actually married to Carl Andre before Anna Mendieta, and she died a few years ago. Her name will come to me. She used to show with Broadway 1602. And famously, Jay-Z and Beyonce were photographed in front of her um, painting at Art Basel like five years ago. Um, but Or you get um, Carmen, the uh, the 100-year-old artist that shows with um, Carmen Herrera, who shows with Listen. Mm-hmm. You kind of have that abstract, abstract geometric minimal painting. And you have someone who has 
probably most of it because people weren't buying female mm. artists and it's a lot cheaper than mangled, but then they build up, you know, the prices and they build up institutional mm -hmm. support. So it's really like, we're, you know, you run out of stock in the way that old masters, there's very little stock left in the art market. You know, there's shortages of a lot of things. So when you find women artists who are part of land art or part of minimal art or part of light and space, I've been interested in some of those artists lately, like Helen Paschke and Lita Albuquerque. They were doing the same things as Terrell, um, as Irwin. I mean, these were their colleagues and tutors, but, you know, nobody heard of them. But now the artists know there's an opportunity with the growth of the market and just you know, also the prices are, are much easier, but then they do build them up. Um, so, you know, and to be, you know, not to be too cynical, but also when they're older, they often have like a whole body of work and, you know, they'll be in a state. And sometimes, I mean, estates can be interesting in, in themselves because whoever takes care of them has a lot of power, you know, and so... I've seen people from, as I, as I say, civilians take over artist estates, like um, Hannah Wilke, her sister and her, I think, nephew, her sister's son took it over. They were just normal non-art world people. They've done a brilliant job with her estate and they've, they've really like the estate in the archive. But there's also other instances where families make mistakes that are easy to make when you don't understand the art market, like putting too much art out there or charging too much or too mm -hmm. little. And that was why I first got interested in estates mm -hmm. because um, what happens after an artist passes is almost as important as when they're alive because you think it, it's going to be a lot longer that they're not alive in the history of art than they were. So things have to be handled properly. Wow. That's fascinating. I hadn't thought much about that, actually. Yeah. and it's, But that's huge. Yeah, it's huge. And estates have become a bigger part of the market, obviously, because, mm -hmm. you know, 30 years ago, the people who were dying were, you know, there still were mostly white men and there weren't a lot of artists. But now with the rise of, you know, um, college and university in the 1960s and 70s, mm -hmm. a lot of those people, there's a lot more artists in the world. And they're all getting older, like my dear friend, Dan Graham died last February. So, you know, his widow is now looking after all of this work and Vito Conchi's widow and, you know, but soon there'll be more and more women artists because there's just more women artists in the world. So mm -hmm. I think estates are going to be like a bigger part of the art world. But some of oh. the challenges you were asking before yeah. about challenges, yes. and I, I was I was thinking of this because I was just writing a review of the show at the Aldrich, which shows um, artists from a 1971 Lucy Lippard exhibition and then 52 emerging artists. And I, I think some of the challenges now are, well, one of them for me is that, you know, there are days where I think, okay, you know, we're equal and I don't have to, you know, I don't know if, if I need to keep writing about feminism or feminist art because, you know, I think women are fully integrated now into the art world, but it's not the case. And when you really look at the auction results and the numbers and the prices of women's work, you know, it's still lower. And that's really, that's a lot, you know? So I guess one of the challenges is like, yeah, we see a lot of work by women artists now. It's not unusual to see a solo show in a commercial gallery by women artists in the way, you know, in the early nineties, you just didn't see it at Anthony Dolfe or at the Listen. You saw ma male artists, mostly white, you know? So we have all this new opportunity, but I think we still have to remember that women are still, not paid as much as men in the larger world as well as the microcosm of the art world and um we still need to keep you know alert for equal representation equal pay and also still when you look at the art world there's still a lot of power and money um are with the men of the art world if you look at the major galleries swerner gagosian pace you know um 
cause of birth. I mean, they're male led, you know, but I think it's going to change. I think mm -hmm. it's really exciting to see, to see what's going to happen in like 50 years. I think it's going to be a lot yeah. different. Yeah. Is, is there anything in terms of like the content or like the kind of work that women do or like, let's say are allowed to do versus what men do or allowed to do that you see? That's really interesting because um, a lot of the second wave artists that I wrote about um, avoided painting because they felt painting was, you know, the kind of inherited male patriarchal medium. And I feel like right now, female painters are like on fire, right? Mm -hmm. Like someone like yeah. Ilana Savdi, who just went to yeah. White Cube. Chelsea Culprit in LA and Cody Brown, you know, a lot of these women painting women, or even um, Anna Benaroya, whose work I love, she just opened um, a show at Carl Christel in, I think, Stockholm or London. But these women painting women are like um, big business, and it's okay now to do. And I think that's super interesting. Just the fact that like, we've maybe reclaimed painting from this sort mm -hmm. of super male space. But of course, I think all the new media, you know, you, you've, you've used um, digital media and social mm -hmm. media. And I think that's super exciting. You know, people who use um, Instagram or TikTok, as you know a medium in itself and i also think that now you know nudity used to be a kind of and i don't know you may have strong views on this too but it used to be that if you showed your body as in the way say carolee schneeman did or hannah vilka um in second wave feminism there was there was like another whole camp of people who didn't like you or maybe didn't like your work because they thought, you know, you were feeding into the male gaze. Um, I feel like today, I hope we have more ownership and agency over our bodies, but I bet, I, I know there's still a lot of haters out there. Like yeah. even someone like Kim Kardashian, right? Like a lot of people say horrible things about her and you know I'm like you know what she's a fantastic businesswoman she's made herself with no talent in a way into this billion dollar brand and I'm like let her do what she wants with her body and her images you know I think it's really exciting but I do know that there's still like conservative parts of feminists you know, ideology that are, you know, find women like that to be exploitative of themselves, maybe. But I feel we're in a new era. And that's kind of an old school kind of mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. um, also, just dance. I've seen a lot more dance in art lately, which has been nice. People like um, Maureen Hollander or Phoebe Berglund being shown in galleries. I love that. Um, and a lot more, I would say, um, spoken word and literary pieces, um, which again, I think was around, it was happening. People did this, people like Adrian Piper used a lot of text, but I think it's, um, yeah, I mean, the playing field is wide open now, isn't it? Anything goes, and it seems like also anything can be bought or sold. I mean, even things like performances are now bought mm -hmm. and sold, which is, kind of astounding to me. Yeah, yeah, that's um, so true. Um, I think one thing that that gets me to think about is this sort of difference between, um, I guess what I would call um, nudity in art versus arousal in art, which often, um, which, often if we're going to, I guess I'll say that my, my experience is with, um, as you know, a pretty big Instagram that has done a pretty good job at capturing the hetero male gaze. It's been very successful. It has over 5 million followers. Um, and all of that is really um, organically generated 
as an Instagram has suggested it. So it's really hooking into, I guess, the current zeitgeist of, uh, of desire and imagery. Um, but what I find in what I have been thinking about in terms of that is just that those same images or those kinds of images, I rarely, if ever, see in the art world unless they're being appropriated. So unless there's someone, another artist, often a male artist, but sometimes a female artist too, taking the image and putting it up there as a critical stance. Um, and then, yeah, so I'm curious what your thoughts are on, on that I topic. I think it's a good point you make. And, you know, in, in general, I would say too, photography is sort of, um, um, I love photography. I have a lot of it myself, but it's sort of like been overshadowed by painting in the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. The market for photography has gone way down, except maybe Cindy Sherman and Gursky, you know, like those <laughs> kind of like, big A-listers, but photography in general is a bit under the radar, which makes me sad um, because I think people are getting surfeited of the paintings. But mm. I do, I mean, some of the things that I see, which is interesting is like sort of um, different forms of uh, female bodies, mm. you know, like someone like Nina Faustine, who's like a, a larger woman and, you know, appearing nude in her work. And I think those things almost are more acceptable in the art fair than a mm -hmm. beautiful woman, you know, in an erotic pose, because there's something about, you know, the art world that's incredibly conservative. I mean, mm -hmm. Carolee Schneeman used to always say this, you know, that mm -hmm. like she got into a lot of trouble because she was interested in sort of female pleasure and desire and sexuality. And, you know, the art world, I think, likes to make things very antiseptic. And so now I think there's a new openness to diversity of bodies and diversity of skin tone. So if you show those kind of bodies, it's okay. It's actually mm -hmm. better than showing like a Playboy body, you know, a really beautiful body. Um, so sometimes I think nothing's changed in 50 years since, you know, <laughs> Carolee did interior scroll, but I like to think we have more agency over our bodies. I don't know, sometimes with the political, you know, turn in this country, I, I feel very scared about what could happen to young women's bodies, mm -hmm. um, you know, just even in the main world. But as far as I think you're absolutely right, the appropriation of Instagram or TikTok, you would see more than your work or Amelia Ullman, mm -hmm. or I'm trying to think of other women artists I like on Instagram. Um, I don't know. It's such a strange world we live in because we live in this like device world. Like yeah. it's just so seductive. Like you can't stay away from your phone you know, um, but then when you walk through the art world, there's all of these like big material things and they're being shipped around the world. Like I have a problem with the, just the environmental sustainability of this. So there's like two different worlds. There's like the sort of influencer yeah. art world, like the G Jerry Gagosian, who I don't know how mm -hmm. she makes money, but I love her account. Um, and then there's the sort of, white cube galleries and what they're selling. And there's like a lot of painting at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. That's super interesting. I think this kind of leads into the next question, which is um, where and how do women find agency and empowerment in art? Well, that's a great question, Leah. I think, you know, when I think back to women who found agency in art, it has been a lot about, um, you know, excavating identity or excavating desire, you know, or um, ideas around um, motherhood. I think it's interesting because many of the artists who've kind of found their agency used, you know, personal stories, narratives, ideas in their work. When I think about, you know, some of the artists I 
really got interested in art because of like Mary Kelly or mm. um, um, Betty Tompkins with her fuck paintings, you know, I mean, but even Betty, you know, she was painting those things for 40 years. Like, <laughs> and I said to her, what did you do? Because, you know, she didn't have PPOW. And she said, I just kept painting. And I wow. do think that there is agency in just doing that. And I always mm -hmm. tell younger artists, like, just keep working. It doesn't matter if you go to an art fair and your colleague is showing at three booths and they're sold out because, um, you know, things go up and down. We've seen careers go up and down. It happens to all of us, not just artists. But I think there is an agency in expressing yourself and being able to express yourself. Of course, there's a certain kind of agency in being successful, like someone mm -hmm. like Cindy Sherman, again, who for a long time was not, you know, a big deal in the institutional or the market world and she kept doing what she did. And then now she has a terrific agency and that she's also financially successful. And I do feel that women artists like that, you know, Marina Abramovich, Cindy Sherman, the sort of A-listers, they have incredible agency in that they can support new ideas and younger artists. Um, whether they do is another is another <laughs> case. I think that's that's an interesting point. I'm really interested at the moment in artist philanthropy and which oh, artists, you know, sort of mentor and help other artists and, and who don't. I'm writing a piece about that for an architectural journal. But anyway, um, I think that agency is found by doing what you want to do and saying, fuck it, I don't care, you know, if somebody doesn't like this, you know, because they don't like to see a nude body or they, you know, they have a problem with my political position. Um, I think there's agency in just doing it. But then I think there is also this terrific thing that's happened in the art world where women, not just women artists, but also women curators and directors are becoming, you know, more and more the head of institutions, you know, um, the head of museums, the head of galleries. And I think that's really exciting because then you really see, suddenly you see all these women showing in the gallery or the museum. So like Amy Smith Stewart, who I used to teach with at Sotheby's, she became senior curator at the Aldrich. And under her tenure, she's shown so many solo shows of women artists, you know, Jackie Windsor, Harmony Hammond, um, Carla Knight, um, Genesis Bellinger. And so I think as women get better positions and more positions of power, they also provide agency to other women. I hope. Obviously, mm -hmm. not everybody, you know, is generous and wants to be a mentor. But I do think there's this sort of organic agency that comes in that, like, silently women have you know, mm -hmm. uh, gotten into more positions of power. And I have had, mm -hmm. you know, men, white men my age say, there's no way I can get another job now because mm -hmm. I'm like a 50 year old white man. So I can't, I can't get a job, you know? So I kind of think, you know, that's okay because for so many hundreds of years, we couldn't get jobs and people of color couldn't and indigenous mm -hmm. Americans so I feel like, you know what, that's all right now for women and um, some other oppressed peoples uh, to get to get more agency and mm -hmm. power. But I do think that, you know, there's two kinds of agencies. There's the personal agency of like getting out of this sort of late capitalist treadmill that we all live in in this country and being an artist and saying, you know, it's very hard to be an artist in the U.S. There's no there's no safety net. So just being an artist is tough. And then I think there's also the agency of real money and power. I also just really tell people to try to buy real estate because I think, um, you know, it offers a lot of agency in another way. It just, yeah. you know, it gives you a lot of freedom. Yeah, yeah. Even someone like Marion Boski, when she moved from Soho to Chelsea and she bought that building, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's like a certain kind of strength in knowing I own this building. There's no greedy landlord who's going to chuck me out, you know. And I think, mm -hmm. I think women 
of my age and older, I don't think we were brought up by our parents saying like, make sure you buy your own property and make sure you're financially solvent. You know, I think your generation, hopefully your mothers were saying things like that. But I think the more economically independent we can be, there's an mm-hmm. agency in that because we don't have to worry about anyone saying we can or can do something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the question of, I mean, I think some artists do make their money off of their artwork and then some make it off of other things and that support their artwork. Um, and yeah. yeah, the house or the home being just, well, I guess ideally paid off and available for someone to create work in is incredibly freeing. It's huge. And I've even had older artists say to me, like, cause they bought, you know, everybody in the seventies was buying lofts and they were cheap then. But now of course we have all like, you know, film producers and bankers and people moving into these buildings. So now the artists who own their say loft, which might be worth 5 million or $10 million, just the maintenance fees are like a lot. Oh. So <laughs> it's, it's really interesting. The whole real estate question, because I've, I've seen how, many artists of like the 60s and 70s they gained a lot of freedom by buying these spaces um and that really influenced me like seeing seeing a lot of people who bought buildings and bought lofts because i could see how they just could then not worry too much if they made a body of work that didn't sell they could do whatever Mm -hmm. they wanted because they own the loft they're living in. I think now, especially for younger people, it's impossible to buy something in a city. It's insane. So that leaves you in a very precarious place as an artist because rents go up, you know, fashionable. The artists always make the neighborhoods fashionable and then you can't afford it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, How are artists, are you seeing a trend in terms of how artists are dealing with that? I mean, obviously that's huge in New York City. Like, I don't... I feel like a lot of artists (laughs) are leaving. So many of my artist friends left cities or if they stayed in the city, they've kept like a bolt hole and then they've gone upstate for bigger Mm -hmm. studios. So I just think New York and LA, I mean, LA is so tough too. um, And a lot of people are moving out to the desert. You know, I, I think it's interesting. It's, this kind of like um, migration out, mm-hmm. um, which also makes it a little harder. Like, you know, I'm going to upstate New York Saturday to do a studio visit. You know, it's like a two hour drive. You know, it's not like you just hop on the subway and see artists, right. but there's another, um, there's a certain um, convenience to that because they can get bigger spaces and they can, you know, own houses because it's just impossible in big cities now I couldn't buy an apartment in a big city you know yeah me neither (laughs) at all yeah yeah yeah, that's interesting um let's see I mean we've kind of touched on this next question a bit already but I'm going to ask it again because I think it's interesting um how has the place of women in and or as art changed over time and across different media? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, you know, when I studied the history of art, most of the women in art were the models, you know, who bordered on sex workers, of course, in like, you know, 19th century, you know, Europe, it was very close Mm -hmm. to being a sex worker. And, um, And now, you know, as I said before, there's all of these, there's just so many kick-ass women artists. And when I go to art schools now, I mean, I think, I feel like it's like 60% women. And even Mm -hmm. I teach at an architecture school in London at the Architectural Association, and I have mostly female students. So I'm really excited for like even the next generations to come up. But I guess the big change that I've seen, which is like a huge paradigm shift, is just women coming out of that role of being objectified to being the the maker the creator Mm. um and i think it's incredibly interesting when they're both like like Mm -hmm. you and um you know there are many artists even someone like cindy sherman you know she's Mm. she's both and that's fascinating but i do think that change has been so nice to see because 
I don't know. It gets, it's really nice to see a beautiful painting. I love looking at an odalisque, you know, neoclassical beautiful painting, but I also just love seeing what women, you know, paint or, or make work about. And I also think there's been this incredible return to the idea of almost like the personal is political. So, you know, that was big in sort of 1970s feminist, like sort of second wave, right? And then even in the 80s, you had people like um, Barbara Kruger, Jenny, you know, Jenny um, Holzer, um, Mary Kelly making work about identity. But I have to say like in the 90s and the early noughts, you know, it was a lot of like the John Currens and Glenn Browns and, um, you know, the people who made work about women like Jenny Savile, they kind of stood out, you know, like Tracy Emin, Sarah Lucas. I, I loved all the work. But now it's kind of like, again, all, you know, you see so much identity based work, right? Like the personal is political, I feel mm -hmm. is like, you walk around an art fair now and you see a lot of, um, you see just a lot of politicized work and identity-based work again. And I love it. I think it, it's my kind of work. I've always loved that stuff. Um, but I think we're going to go, because everything goes in waves. So I think we're going to go into mm -hmm. another wave of like abstraction. And, mm -hmm. and again, because I think people are getting sick of seeing so many figures and narrative mm -hmm. works. Mm -hmm. so, so the the next wave you see being abstraction after the identity focused. I think so, because we've been yeah. doing this identity thing now. Like, I want to say people like Micheline Thomas, Nidjeka yeah. Crosby, who I can never say her name. You know, they're, it was so exciting when those practices came out because yeah. they were like, you know what? This is my history this is like my mom who has an Afro and is just bloody beautiful and amazing. And there's been, it's then worked its way into a trickle down. You see it in so many more works around, but I, I hear a lot of people saying like, you know, when they go through art fairs, like I'm just so sick of seeing so many paintings of figures. So I feel like, you know, I don't know. I just feel yeah, like abstraction's going to be coming in again, but I don't know if it's going to be the, you know, I don't think it'll be gestural abstraction. I feel like it's going to be something else. Who knows? Hmm. Maybe it'll be more like sort of ethnic abstraction, you know, I don't mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. But I do think that's going to come in. But I have enjoyed the the identity based yeah. work, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and on sort of on that topic, on the, I'm curious to hear your what you think of the current state of feminism and how it relates to art. And I I know in your book, uh, you refer to more as like a new wave of feminism as opposed to giving it a number. Um, is that still how you're thinking about it? Yeah, I, cause I was thinking about, you know, the new wave of people sort of, you know, in their thirties who are doing like really exciting. There, there's so many people I'm excited about, not just writers and artists, but filmmakers, people like Chloe Zhao, you know, I'm, I just, it's, I think it's really exciting, but I think feminism in general it's interesting because it's a political ideology, but it's an ideology unlike, say, Marxism or, um, you know, another ideology where there's not like one text that it that it moves from. So it's this very, very wide, multifarious thing. And so, um, you know, feminism got to this point where like Beyonce is like, you know, it flashes on the screen behind her and Lady Gaga and, you know, so it's super interesting to me because I feel like it has really infiltrated into everything. Um, even music videos, you know, I think that's super exciting. Um, but I'm really interested like in terms of more art-based feminism and academic, I'm really interested in the people who are writing about feminism in terms of, you know, not necessarily cisgendered women, but just people in general. And I mean, Bell Hooks is one of the first 
to start mm-hmm. that, but you know, Mackenzie Wark, who's an amazing writer, um, and I'm not sure of Mackenzie's pronoun, I think it's they. Um, Legacy Russell, who I mentioned before, Glitch Feminism, I think it's super interesting. And, um, you know, all of the like new manifestos that have come mm-hmm. up, you know, since I have a whole book of feminist manifestos. And I think it's so oh, cool. <laughs> It's exciting, you know, and it's, it's great. I'm just really excited because when I studied feminism, you know, you were studying mostly white and I want to say middle-class texts, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Laura Mulvey, you know, these are people who are like Oxbridge educated, you know, Sheila Robotham, um, even Jermaine Greer, which became, you know, that became a really populist book, but you know, and now I think there's so many more writers and it's a whole new way of looking at feminism. So I read recently Mm -hmm. this book, Hood Feminism, and I'm terrible because I'm forgetting the author's name, but, you know, it's like a trade paperback. It's not necessarily academic, but I was so blown away because some of the things she says about like single mothers trying to raise kids in you know, um, disadvantaged neighborhoods. And I was like, oh my God, she's so right. Like feminism is about this. This is like Mm. where the rubber hits the road. And I feel so guilty because they're just, I don't know, there weren't texts like that. I mean, bell hooks was the beginning of, you know, this Mm. kind of thing for me. So I'm just really excited about the younger people and people like Roxanne Gay, you know, who are really sort of almost militant in their beliefs. And I, you know, I feel like it's the next iteration of feminism and it's really Mm -hmm. exciting for me. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not my story or what I know. So I love that. Um, I do think it does scare me this sort of backlash against feminism in in this country where Mm -hmm. you have even women who are anti-abortion and anti-feminism. I don't know if you've seen any of those people online. It's scary and horrific to me. I don't understand how a woman could not want, you know, women to have control over their bodies. Um, I understand the religious piece, but just control over decisions that change your whole life, you know, like having a baby at a certain age. Yeah. Um, and then also, you know, when Hillary was running some of the people who's women online who said like, oh, I don't trust, you know, a woman to be president. And that that really scares me. And it's <laughs> then that I think, you know what, we still like feminism is still really important, you know, like because I go through days where I'm like, oh, you know, my life's work is done. Like women artists are out there. They're equal. It's like cool now. But then, um, you know. Things like that remind me that it's really like things can just go off an edge so easily mm-hmm. into like this kind of conservative, scary place. And it's interesting how many art collectors, you know, you know, did vote for Trump and mm-hmm. and do, you know, are somewhat conservative. I tend to think art collectors that more that vote Republican are more conservative fiscally rather than conceptually, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think they're like anti-choice people, but it is, it's been fascinating to me to see, yeah, just to see how the art world deals with some of these things, which is kind of, they don't, you don't talk about <laughs> it. I feel like people who are democratic, well, they like to say they donated money and stuff, but the people who are conservative are quieter about it. Interesting. Yeah, probably. But it's happened several times that I've talked to, you know, collectors and they've said something about who they voted for. And my mouth goes like, because you're just like, so, I mean, I'm always just so shocked um, because the policies seem so retrogressive. But yeah, yeah, I do understand the Republican Party has changed a lot. So, (laughs) you know, I think there's different factions within it, but the faction Uh of women being suspicious of women or not wanting women to have Mm -hmm. um, rights over their bodies is just unfathomable to me or not Mm -hmm. being able to get birth control because you work at Hobby Lobby. Like those things are just Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. I just can't process it almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there is like a whole subset of women 
Well, I guess I'll say from my own experience, again, that a lot of the hate that I get is actually from women. Um, and then often from men in terms of collectors, it'll just be something like, oh, I can't collect your work because it's basically, it's too much, um, in terms of content, not in terms of price. Um, so there's kind of, there is that interesting, and I, I guess I haven't really fully worked through what it is, but it's some sort of, I'm not sure if it's, yeah, I mean, I think you use the word mistrust. I don't know. Like, I feel like maybe some people would say I don't know I'm not sure if it's jealousy it doesn't feel like jealousy but there there's something or self-hatred or um none of those are really right but I feel like there's definitely something in there that that I don't I don't know quite so much how if it is directly related to the political version of it but there is something in there where the women I mean when you look online often the people who are giving the online hate are often women um, if you look at other women's accounts, basically other influencers' accounts, um, it's quite rare actually for a man to give the kind of hate. Um, and this is like really random, but one Instagram model like went on a boat with I think like Justin Bieber and then like all these girls put these snakes all over her profile. Like she had to turn off comments because it was just everyone putting snakes because I guess she was a snake for having done it. I'm not quite sure, Mm. but um, it was really an interesting thing to see happen. Um, Yeah, 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 I think it's, I don't know if it's self-hate. I think it's, you know, because I think in like the second wave, there were a lot of these, you know, artists who avoided showing their body and their art. Mm -hmm. And they kind of, you know, were very, you know, you know, critical of people who showed their body and art. Um, But also I feel the same happens in like literature or film, you know, Mm -hmm. um, that if you're too provocative or you're interested Mm -hmm. in female desire, someone like Sophie call, you know, you, you're almost seen as like not serious enough and Mm -hmm. it's like so desexualized, like so Mm -hmm. asexual Mm -hmm. in the art world. However, they love a beautiful painter that they can really glam up like uh mm-hmm. like kennedy yanko you know like she's got the mm-hmm. whole package she's talented and then she looks great um or cecily brown you know like mm-hmm. she was always like photographed like looking like a hottie when she was younger mm-hmm. and so it's this real double standard in the art world that you know they want women to like look great and they want to picture them in the times magazine and shorts like or something you know shorts Uh, and high heels but then you know you're not allowed to like really talk about feminine desire or sexuality and I think it's just so deeply ingrained in our culture even this like this marriage thing in our society like I remember my PhD supervisor saying to me like because I needed a visa and I said but couldn't you marry me because he and his wife weren't married for so long and he said my dear if I married you Parveen would have my ass and I was like but you guys are Marxist structuralist and he said but that's the thing no matter what you like like think in your head or even if you're intellectual like there's some ingrained societal things mm. that are so ingrained in our culture that mm. we're just brought up from baby seeing so many images mm. of like a man and a wife married mm. and that's what we're supposed to do so like if you're a single woman who just didn't want to have babies and you know not one life partner it's like you're considered you know you're almost like in the the queer category you know you're like in a Mm -hmm. like I always identify with queer people and people of color Mm -hmm. because I feel like I have a sort of alternative lifestyle though I'm not queer Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. um it's amazing like how entrenched in our culture it is that you're supposed to have like you know Mm -hmm. a woman's supposed to get married and have kids and so I've even had kids like my nephew will say to me um, who are you married to, Aunt Kathy? And then I say, I'm not married, darling. I work a lot. And then he says, but do you have children back home? And I say, no, I just, I work. I decide not to have children. And it's like, even from such a young age in school, like everything is like this nuclear family. So that's why I think that some of this hate comes from that. It's like, mm. 
it's like so deeply ingrained that people can't, Mm -hmm. you know, can't just let change happen. But it's interesting Mm -hmm. because I look a lot at Britney Spears' Instagram and she gets so much hate. And I've been, I've been thinking about it a lot since she was freed from her protection order. Cause I'm always like, you know, um, maybe she should post other things because she posts the same thing over and over her and her like in an outfit or her naked with like things over her boobs. And then, but then I'm kind of like, you know what? She's like in her head, she's kind of like a 12 year old because she's been so thwarted. And so it's this new freedom. Maybe she just wants to do that. And maybe she's saying, fuck it to all the haters. But yeah. the hate that you see, it's, I don't <laughs> know if you ever look at her account, but thousands of comments that are like, Brittany, you need help. Brittany, like, yeah, wow. and a lot of it is women, as you said. Wow. I mean, it's like a hundred mean comments and then two nice ones. It's oh. so, it's so mean. And it's really interesting because in a way when she was so, controlled like I don't think she was getting Mm -hmm. as much hate and now that she's free she's there's a lot of hate on that Instagram account and I I always wonder like if it were me I don't think I would be able to keep posting but she does so um that takes so much guts (laughs) I want one day for her to talk about it yeah that would be super interesting because they were probably a lot of her fans right I mean that was who originally was probably following her account and then they started seeing that maybe oh yeah people say all the time I'm I'm unfollowing this account and I'm not listening to your music uh, and I just think she's probably like who the fuck cares I am rich you know I've got Britney money like Right. I mean, <laughs> Brittany money. You know, I don't know, but it, yeah, it's interesting that a lot of um, hate comes from other women, and it's sad, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, fortunately, also there's definitely a lot of support as well, but it, but yeah, there's both. Um, that's really interesting about Britney Spears. I hadn't hadn't thought of her in that way I I think she's the only sort of famous person I follow besides famous artists because I don't Mm -hmm. really follow Mm -hmm. celebrities I don't know why I just kind of don't um but with Britney I started to and um it's been it's been a roller coaster ride I know always like how does she continue to do it and not yeah and not stop it's fascinating and also she's yeah for a person with like all the means in the world it seems like she's often at home alone so it is kind of sad um i mean a lot of comments say things like britney go out have brunch with friends but then i think well who are her friends it's probably a viper's nest in that world she's in in the entertainment world yeah yeah and i bet a lot of people like the I mean, I don't know, Justin Timberlake's of the world who probably were her friends, they probably think it's like not mm. safe for their brand to be seen with her, right? I bet mm-hmm, she's had a lot mm-hmm. of people mm-hmm. like shut her out. I love that mm-hmm. like Madonna and Donatello were at her wedding mm-hmm. dancing with her, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that it's interesting people like Madonna and Cher, these like aging yeah. pop yeah. stars, you know, dating much younger men, they get a lot of hate for that. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, nobody says anything about Michael Douglas or, you know, any of these guys dating someone 40 years younger. And it's, it's just still a double standard out there in the yes. world. Yes, it is. It is. Um, okay. Simple question. Okay. But, but maybe not simple. <laughs> Can a woman just be art? That's a great question. I don't know. Um, I, I think I think they can be just art, but um, it's hard because if a woman is just art, and you know, because I always think, well, woman is art and women are creators. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like you're you're the creation and the creator. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's very hard to, to, it's like a DNA helix, right? It's hard to separate those. So um, it's something I think about sometimes with people, you know, with someone like a Cindy Sherman, who's constantly photographing herself. And I think like, um, 
when she's not art, what is she? You know, it's (laughs) super interesting because everybody always calls her like a blank slate and, you know, um, and I don't know. I think a woman could just be art, but then I think there's so much more to it if they're creating the art, you know, I mean, for a long time, women were silent Venuses, you know, they were like the Venus or the whore, right? They were like, Mm -hmm you know, the ballet dancer or the like whore or the cam-cam dancer in art. And now, you know, I mean, like Marina Abramovich, she's kind of art just walking around or Patti Smith. I feel like they are just artworks in themselves, you know? Um, And in a way I felt Carolish Neiman was like that. She just lived and ate and breathed her art, you know? So I think it can be, but it's a, it's a tough question. It's a great mm-hmm. question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great answer. I don't know the answer to it. It's a, yeah, it's a good I don't answer. Either. <laughs> um, could you please, please name some female artists you're excited about and why you've mentioned many great artists throughout the whole podcast, okay. but I'm curious. Yeah. I mentioned Nona Faustine. I think she's interesting. Um, I love Hangama Amiri. She's a young um, uh, Afghani artist who um, was a refugee and mm. went to Yale and works with textiles. And again, a lot of her work is about female pleasure coming from like Sufi poetry. So, um, you know, and in, in that culture, you're not really allowed to kind of make textile paintings of vaginas and stuff which she does and like mm-hmm. it's not just vaginas there'll be other things breasts pomegranates but i love her work um leila baberi the ugandan i believe she's from um sculptor um she's amazing i just saw her in london and you know she uses all this like detritus like it reminds me of like a female rauschenberg because she's using like bicycle tires and just crap from the street and then they're so beautiful and so monumental and then you know a lot of the trans artists I'm really interested in like Zachary Drucker early on I think she's gone more into like film and television um but Juliana Huxtable very interested in because she Mm -hmm. flows through so many mediums from writing video performance um Tourmaline really interesting artist um, I also like, I love like uh, some of the painters I've been really interested in. I was never a painting person, but now that women are getting so kind of, um, you know, renowned, like Kate Barbie, Heidi Hahn, Ilana Savdi, who's a friend, you know, I mean, I just love these women who are making big paintings, you know, a Jessica Westhaffer, I recently did a studio visit with, I love her paintings, like just these kick-ass, you know, like almost like 80s scale paintings, like a schnabel or something, um, but they're women doing it. And uh, like I said, Anna Benaroya, I think it's really exciting. It's kind of rekindled an interest in painting for mm-hmm. me that I didn't have for a long time. Um, but I think there's so many great women artists now Mm -hmm. and you know um there's going to be many more because as i said you know you're you you're the majority in the art schools yeah it's true that was true in my class too (laughs) yeah that's great to be interesting yeah um okay so i was really looking at your book earlier today which i love and recommend to anybody who's interested in any of this new york new wave um, I was trying to find one, something I wanted to ask about, and there's so much, mm-hmm. it was hard. <laughs> so, um, I'm actually curious just to read some of the questions that you asked at the end of the section that you wrote about me and hear if you have some answers to them. Okay. Um, since some time has passed and, um, just to hear you riff or say whatever about, about that. So, um, um, yeah, so. While four decades have spanned between the groundswell of second wave feminist artists and Schrager, many of the same debates remain. Is the artist's intention critical to the meaning of the work? How does objectifying the young female body create a complex and precarious practice for a feminist artist? 
How can technology further a feminist stance? And is it possible to create sex positive work and still be considered a feminist? Big questions. Yeah, yeah I love those questions. God, it makes me sound smart. I, I feel like <laughs> I should look at the book more often. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, like I love your work and I think it's so gutsy because it's hard. Like a lot of people, I mean, I think if you're, if you were a cruise missile artist saying, I just want to make a million dollars per painting and Mm -hmm. I want to get to that level, I don't think you would make work like you do. I think you're really interested in the debate around bodies and women and desire. Um, Another artist who brought up similar questions to me recently was Erin Riley. I don't know if you know her work. She shows the PPOW. And I love, I love the, um, well, first of all, I love that she's making tapestries. I think that's what you call them. And because it's, again, just like, um, you know, anything that's not oil on canvas is always seen as kind of a secondary and almost like crafty. But I love how she shows like, you know, the cam, the webcam picture where you see a woman masturbating, then you see the webcam and then you see in the mirror the same thing. And I'm like, you know, it's Velasquez in the 21st century with a webcam girl. And is it her? And it's really interesting because I feel like it like elevates these things like being a webcam or an OnlyFans woman to an art sphere, which is super interesting, right? And um and and it's done so well. So I I do think sometimes like, you know, this work is so important also because, you know, if you look in the news, you always hear, right? Like teacher fired from school because of her OnlyFans page. And I'm always like, you know, if you paid teachers properly, maybe they wouldn't need to also do a a secondary job because, you know, any form of cam work, sex work it's labor it's Mm -hmm. people are doing it because you need the money you know so you know we're not properly supported in this country I feel a lot of Mm non-profit sector people like teachers and um you know when I saw Aaron's tapestry I saw it twice I saw it at PPOW and then I just Mm -hmm. saw it at the Aldrich and I thought Mm -hmm. about it and I thought I love how she's like I don't know if it's her or if it's another webcam girl, but I love that she's saying like, this is valid labor. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, and this is, but it's also like, this is what a lot of women in our society have used to go from being maybe a stripper to a PhD. You know, I mean, I've had students say to me, like, I'm a dominatrix or I'm a stripper because it is one of the ways you can make a lot of money quickly. And, you know, it's in a way, it's somewhat sad that women are not more supported through straightforward channels. But then I think they're in control. So, you know, mm-hmm. um, so be it. But I do think that there is this thing about, you know, those questions that I asked about, like, if you objectify yourself, and your intention is not to say like, oh, I have a beautiful body, but to say, I'm, you know, I'm a woman, I'm a sexual being or whatever you want to say. This slippage between intention and reception in an artwork is so fascinating in any artwork, not just women's. Yes. And, you know, a great, a great example, I think, is the Dana Schutz Emmett Till painting. You know, when she talked about it, she said, i became a mother and I was thinking about Emmett Till and that coffin and how his mom, you know, and then people took it in such a different way. And like mm-hmm. that other question about who is able to represent whom is very interesting to me. And it's mm-hmm. like, like you said, like if Richard Prince shows Instagram girls, it's like, okay. And it's $90,000, but you know, if Kim Kardashian took out a booth at the art fair and showed pictures of herself in her skims, everybody would think it was a joke, you know? So it's really interesting about who, who can represent what and women still can't easily represent desire. Yeah. I mean, Tracy Emin really struggled with this too. I think, you know, a lot of people, 
you know, dismissed her art for so long. And I mean, she's had the last laugh. I mean, yes, she has. I think she's starting an art school in Kent. Oh, cool. In Margate. Yeah. I know she's been on well, but then I believe she's starting a whole thing where she's from. Like she's revitalizing Margate, you know, almost single-handedly. Yeah. That's That's another of your artist philanthropy investing. Oh, I'm really interested in this because I I have this theory that women and people of color give back more, not in terms of maybe straightforward money. I don't know what Jeff Koontz or Peter Halley or Julian Schnabby donate, but I feel that in terms of mentorship and setting Mm. up programs that will outlive the artist, it's interesting Mm. how many people of color have done that, you know, Mm. Titus Kafar. Um, Theaster and Chicago and uh, Mark Bradford and mm. Kahinde, you know, and I'm really interested in, you know, why it's, I think it's because maybe if you've been in a culture or a demographic that was not easily, um, it wasn't easy to have like movement, you know, like class ascendance. Mm. Um, like women and people of color, and I would put like queer, you know, of mm-hmm. every variety into that, you know, maybe like you form communities and you give mm-hmm. back more. I don't know. I want to do a book yeah. about this, but yeah, I have I another book I have to do first, Uh-oh. but I want, that's the book I really want to do is talk to. And even I heard Alvaro Barrington is doing stuff like that in Brazil. So I need to hear more what she's doing, but You know, it's really interesting to me that a lot of these artists that have community projects are female or like non-white of some Mm -hmm. sort. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm kind of fascinated by it. Yeah. Well, anything else you'd like to add, Kathy? Um, Not that I can think of. I feel kind of like a dinosaur because you guys are all the young people are doing great things. And I just want to say like keep doing it. I know, you know, sometimes I hear from older feminists who are very resistant to changes in feminism. I, I am not, I try not to be, you know, you're not, you're not. So you're not a dinosaur. You can't say that because you're not resistant. You're still open and assimilate. I think people people have to keep pushing, you know, and, um, I'm so excited about, you know, the younger artists. I mean, I worry about you guys because I worry about the economics of living in this country. But, you know, in in Iceland, if you were an artist, you'd get a salary. You know, you'd be, Mm, like, supported, you know. And when I used to live in Amsterdam in the 90s for a little while, artists got salaries because people in other countries understand that material culture is very important and art Mm. matters. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the one thing I will say is that Honestly, I do believe that art can change society, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it takes time and sometimes it's years later, but it's, it's a really important thing that you do and that other people do. And it's not just about parties at art fairs, you know, it's, it's about, it's about change and openness, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and humanity. So that's my thing is I would say, keep making the art no matter what. Well, thank you, Kathy. That's amazing. It's a perfect last message. And I'm so glad and honored that you were my first guest on this podcast. Thank Um, you. I was honored to be the first. It's so exciting. I can't wait to listen to it. Um, Okay. Well, until next time. Yes. Thank you, Leah. Thank you. This has been the Women as an Art podcast hosted by me, Leah Schrager. Please visit womenasanart.com for more information and to find us on socials. Thanks. <laughs>